going to casually move this over here because it's exactly where I need to be. Anyway, okay. Like Brandon said, my name is Rachel Gearhart. Um, it's too far. Was it too far? Sorry. I can't move it. I'm not strong enough. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so my name is Rachel Gearhart, and I, like he said, am the youth leader here, which means I get the privilege of leading new post students, which is so much fun. I love getting to do that. Um, I actually grew up in this church, so I love this church. I've been here my whole life. I'm pretty sure my parents brought me when I was, like, not even a week old. So I've been here my whole life. And there are actually some people here that uh, I was with back in kids' ministry growing up. I had Rosa, who was my nursery caregiver. I have Norma, who's actually back in nursery now. She was my Sunday school teacher. So I love this church. And I am so excited to be getting to share with you guys this week um, the final week of this series we've been going through, which is You in Five Years. So Brandon has been going through this the past four weeks. And week one, he challenged each of us with a question. And this question was, where do you want to be in five years? So he suggested each of us take out a card in front of us and to write down, where do we want to be in five years? And I did that. I still have my card. And I wrote down four things, and I'm going to share that with you. So the first thing I wrote is that I want daily, constant communication with God. The second thing is that I want to be a mother. Third, I want to have an increased savings. And fourth, I want to have one job, and I want that one job to be in ministry. Now, the past four weeks that Brandon has taken us through, he started off week, with week one, and he shared with us how we have to make wise de decisions. If we want to get to where we want to be in five years, we have to make the wise decisions. Week two, he talked through temptations and how temptations try and get away, get in the way of that. Okay, so week three, he talked about time and how we have to be wise with how we spend our time. And then this final week, this past week, he talked about our tribe and how we have to surround ourselves with people who are going to build us up, who are going to support us, rather than people who are just going to tear us down. Now, as we get started today, I'm going to share a brief story with you guys from my time in high school. So all the way from preschool to graduation of high school, I was homeschooled. And I was in this homeschool group called Classical Conversations. So we're in sophomore year, and I'm just going to let you guys know, I didn't really do a whole lot that year. I kind of slacked a lot. Um, I don't remember most of the assignments we did, most of the reading we did. Um, I did do one thing. I did debate, because I really like debating. Um, unless you know me well, I tend to be a more quiet, reserved person. But... Once I get more comfortable and more out there, I really like debating. So I did debate. Um, the other thing is I remember is one book I remember that we read that year, and that's Beowulf. And I only remember that we actually watched that movie together as a class. I don't remember the movie because I slept through the movie, but I did it. And, okay, now I've just got this hanging here. That's fine. Um, anyway, so I remember those two things. I did debate, and we watched Beowulf, but I don't remember the story at all. Um, other than that, didn't really do a whole lot. So we finish up sophomore year. I'm going into junior year, and I suddenly realize, shoot, I have done nothing this past year. I have to graduate in two years, and I didn't really get good grades the past year, which means I may not graduate. Well, lucky for me, I was homeschooled, and that meant I had the opportunity to just make up all the work. 
but that meant I had to work double time. That meant I had to make schedules, and I had to be consistent with following those schedules and following the, all of the assignments I had to do and all of the readings I had to do. That was the only way I was going to graduate, and I did it. I may not have had the best of GPAs, but I still graduated on time. Now, I wanted to give you guys a bit of a physical demonstration of this consistency that I had to have in this story, but I couldn't really think of anything good. I started off with thinking about, you know those little pill-like capsules that you get, and you put them in water, and they dissolve, and in like 10 to 15 minutes, you get this really fun, like, sponge-like creation that comes out of it. So I thought about that, and then I was like, mm, now, that's a little too childish. I mean, everybody here I know is going to be super mature and has wants nothing to do with the childish stuff, right? So I scratched that one, moved on. And then I finally realized um, a hobby that my husband has is bonsai trees. So he started this hobby beginning of 2021. He did all the research. He started to get the right supplies for it. And then he went and searched his entire yard for the right cuttings to create his bonsai trees. So we're like two years-ish past then, and I have some pictures to show you of where we're at with these bonsai trees. So this is one of them, and then another, and then here is my personal favorite. Um, if you guys don't know, it's not really what a bonsai tree is supposed to look like. Uh, it's a little too tall, a little too flimsy, not really a bonsai tree. So. We're two years later, and we don't really have bonsai trees just yet, except I have this little thing right here for you guys. This is what a bonsai tree is supposed to look like. And I would love to say we made this, but we did not. Um, I got impatient, and I went and bought it in July. So I now have a bonsai tree to show you guys. So if you don't know, bonsai trees actually normally take 10 to 15 years to have a fully mature bonsai tree like this one. I wouldn't have chosen this hobby because I like to see results really quick. That's why one of my favorite hobbies is actually crocheting, because you sit there and you do the stitches and you see instant results. Bonsai trees, you don't really see the instant results. But that's kind of what I love about the hobby. It's because if you want to see the results, you have to be consistent with it. You have to take care of the bonsai trees. You have to water them, make sure they have enough sun, make sure they have enough fertilizer. That's the only way you're going to get a bonsai tree. Now, I want to get back to where I was before my stories. We're talking about where we want, where we want to be and where God wants us to be in five years. Now, if you've given this any thought, you may be thinking, okay, I've heard from God. I have at least an idea of where he wants me to be in a couple years, but I'm not really getting there. I mean, I have this idea, but now I have to get to the end of where this idea is. And you may be thinking to yourself, I kind of feel stuck. I'm just stuck here waiting, waiting for the results. And I know myself, and I know oftentimes people start to question, why is it that you haven't gotten there? Why aren't you moving towards the destination you want to reach? And something I know holds many people back is fear. I know that holds me back. The fear of what may come along the way of getting there. What if I mess up along the way? What if what God has planned for me isn't what I thought it's, is what he had planned for me? What about the things I have to do along the way? The temptations I have to face, the decisions I have to make, the time I have to spend wisely, the people I have to surround myself 
What are other people going to think? Are they going to judge me for what I have to do? Lucky for us, we actually see a story of this in the book of Daniel. So he went through something similar to this where he knew the path that God had called him down. And now he must work past the fear he is presented with in order to get there. Now, I want you guys to go ahead and take out your Bibles if you've got them and turn to Daniel chapter 1. As you guys are turning there, I'm going to give you some backstory to this. The story we're about to read takes place in what most scholars believe to be 605 B.C. There's a little bit of discrepancy, but that's the most commonly agreed upon year. Now, this is the year that Nebuchadnezzar, he had just become king of Babylon. And most historical sources um, let us know that he had a great army. And they portray him as being obsessed with conquest and power. And earlier that year, before he had become king, he defeated the Egyptians, which actually brought him great fame in those times. Now, we're going to start off our passage. We're going to start by reading verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, this was done in an attempt to show that the gods of whoever they were taking over, so in this case, the gods of Judah or the God of Judah, was less significant than their God, so the the gods of Babylonia. So they took these articles and brought it back to their temple. We pick back up and we read, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to reculture these young men. They've taken them out of Judah, and they want them to completely leave this life behind. So they teach them a new language, and they teach them new literature, and they want to grasp what it means to now be a part of Babylonia and not Judah. So we continue, we read, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now let's take a look at a second at what those names mean. We start off with Daniel. His name means God is my judge, and his name was changed to Belshazzar, which is actually a reference to the uh, Babylonia's chief god, Baal. And then we've got Hananiah, and his name means the Lord shows grace. And his name was changed to Shadrach, which is yet another reference to a Babylonian god. And then we've got Shadrach, oh, sorry, then we've got Mishael, which means who is like God. And his name was changed to Meshach, which is another reference to a Babylonian god. And then finally, we've got Azariah, and his name means the Lord helps. And it was changed to Abednego. You have a guess as what's that? what that's a reference to? It's another Babylonian god. So right off the bat, they're trying to take these captives away from any connection that they had to God. They knew that they had at least some level of commitment to God. And that's why they're trying to completely take that away. And they're doing this by changing their names. 
So we read in this chapter that they were being taken from their home in Judah to Babylon. Now, this trek the captives had to make was not an easy one. I actually have a picture here to show you what this trek probably looked like. And while it may not look like it on the screen, this was actually believed to be a 500-mile trek. To give you a reference as to how far that is, that's like here to Nashville, Tennessee. And they walked that. For us, it's a nine-hour drive. And no doubt along the way, they had rough weather and rough paths and who knows what other obstacles they may have faced. And they had to walk this 500 miles. So Daniel and his friends are being taken away from their home to walk this really rough trek, forced to learn a new language, new literature, told exactly what food and wine they're supposed to drink, and they even had their names changed. So I would imagine that Daniel isn't exactly having the best time here. So we continue off in verse 8, and we read, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, there are two words I want to look at in here. We've got the word resolve. In the Hebrew, this means to be purposed or to be determined. And then we've got the word defile. In the Hebrew, this word means to pollute or to desecrate. So now I actually put this verse into our own words so we can understand it a little better. And it reads, but Daniel was determined not to pollute himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to pollute himself this way. Now, think for a second about what kind of food Daniel is being offered here. He's being offered royal food. So this is probably what the king is eating. Pretty safe to assume that this is really good food. And to give you some, a little bit of uh, modern-day reference as to the difference, um, he's being offered kind of like outback food. And then he is now asking for something more like McDonald's. Now, what he was asking for, it was actually good for his body and healthy, unlike McDonald's. But you get a little bit of an idea. He is being offered this amazing food that everyone would want to eat. And instead, he's asking for this other food that's not nearly as good. Now, we don't exactly know what food is being offered here, but we do know that it's the kind of food that the king would eat. And Scholars believe they have a couple different ideas as to why Daniel felt this conviction to not eat this food. Their couple ideas was that perhaps it was unclean. It was believed to be unclean in their culture. Or perhaps it had improper preparation. Perhaps it had contact with the dead or impure objects. Or what most scholars actually believe is that it was food that was sacrificed or poured out to idols. But whatever it may be that caused these convictions that Daniel had, it somehow went against his religious beliefs. It would have gone against the convictions that God had given him. So Daniel knows he's not supposed to eat it, and so he requests a diet he is allowed to eat. We continue off in verse 9, and it says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Now, we are told here that there are likely others just like Daniel who are being offered this food. And so he isn't alone in being, in doing, in being told to eat this food. But Daniel knew that God knew better for him. So Daniel did what most of us today struggle to do. 
and that's to push against what everybody else is doing. He pushed against that fear of standing out. No one else was asking for this exception. Everyone else pretty much did exactly what they were told. And oftentimes, where God wants us to go, it requires us to go against what everyone else is doing. That may be with your decisions, because most other people make their decisions based off of what makes them happy in the moment. Perhaps it's with temptations. A lot of other people don't have reason to push past those temptations, so they just give in to them. Perhaps it's with your time because you have to spend it more wisely than other people normally do. Or perhaps it's with the people you surround yourself with. Oftentimes people choose those people based off of what makes them feel better about themselves, the people who are convenient for them, or maybe the people they're feeling pressured to have around them. Going against what others are doing isn't an easy thing to do. Everyone else's lives sometimes look better than ours or perhaps more comfortable than ours. But that's where consistency comes in. We want to get where God wants us to go. And if we're going to get down this path that God is leading us down, we have to remain consistent despite despite this fear that we are being faced with. We continue off again in verse 11. It says, Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. Now, God has given Daniel this conviction about what he must eat, but the guard is fearful of what may come if he allows them to do that. Captives in those days were thought to be very valuable. So if the king noticed some of his captives looking a little worse off than the others, whoever was in charge of them would have been punished, probably by death. So that's the second thing that we see that oftentimes, the second fear that we see that often gets in the way of us being consistent. And that's the fear of what may come. Daniel could have been killed for this request. Now, while we aren't likely to be killed for what we're being asked to do, there are still some things that could happen that we could be fearful of. Perhaps it's what others may think when we make the decision not to go out with our friends who are going to stay all, out all night drinking. Or perhaps it's losing a friend when you realize that that friend is doing nothing but pull you down and to tear you apart. So whatever those fears may be that you'll be faced with, consistency is once again, once again the key to getting past those. So we've now seen how fear can get in the way of our consistency. Let's get back to what I had written on my card from week one. There are going to be challenges to being consistent with this path that I think God has called me to. There's the first thing, which is daily constant communication with God. The fear that tends to come with that is time. I have to give up some of my time in order to spend time daily with God. Being a mother. Any mothers here know that can bring a lot of fear. I mean, I have to carry this child for nine months birth this child, feed this child, care for them pretty much 24-7. That's a lot of fear. And then there's savings. I have to be different than others in order to increase the savings that we have. And then with my having one job, being ministry, there's fear in the time it may take that I have to pour into that or the fear of the significance of what my job could possibly entail. Now, I don't know what you have written on your card, 
But the only way you're going to get there is if you're consistent in working for it. To do whatever it takes to get there, to push past what others are doing and push past the fear of what could happen if you follow this path. If you want to get where God wants you to be, you must be consistent throughout that path that he has for you. Otherwise, all those bumps in the road, all they're going to do is prevent you from getting there. Now, committing to all of this is great. Committing to that path that God has for you, that's great. We've all probably done that. We're committed. We, we know we want to get there. But I want you to take it a step further. I want you to pre-decide. Decide now that no matter what comes up, you're going to remain consistent. No matter what other people may be doing, what other people may be thinking, or how they may judge, no matter what you may lose or what you may be fearful of along the way. Now, do you want to hear the rest of the story of Daniel? I'm going to finish it up here. And after that 10-day trial that they asked for, they were found to be far better and far healthier than any of the other people who followed this diet that they were given. They were brought before the king, and he could find no one equal. And he found them to be ten times better than all of the other magicians and enchanters that he had. God granted them knowledge and understanding of all of these things that they're having to learn and be taught. He even gave Daniel the ability to understand, understand visions and dreams. And this only happened because they were consistent. They stayed true to the convictions that God had given them, and God rewarded them for that. And it didn't stop there. Throughout the rest of this story of Daniel, we see time after time Daniel remaining completely aligned with where God wants him to go, and time after time he is rewarded for that. Daniel went against what everyone else was doing. He no doubt had great fear in what could come from pushing against what he was convicted to do. But Daniel knew God wanted better for him, and it wasn't what he was being told to do, and so he pushed against that. He pushed to have the life God wanted for him. He pushed away from what everyone else was doing, away from the fear of what may come from it. And God rewarded him for that. God gave Daniel the life that God wanted for him. And it was far better than any life we could have created or Daniel could have created for himself. And that's what God wants for you as well. God has a plan for you, and he wants to get you there. But we tend to let things get in the way, whether that be the decisions we make, the temptations we're faced with, the time we have to spend wisely, or the people we surround ourselves with. So when all of that fear rushes in, if we aren't consistent in living the life that will bring us down this path God has planned for us, we'll never get there. We'll never arrive at this destination that God has in store for us, and we're just going to be stuck wondering why. And I imagine, and imagine how different your life could look if you did this, if you were consistent in making the wise decisions consistent in pushing past the temptations you're faced with, consistent in spending your time wisely, and consistent in working to have a supportive tribe around you. So whatever you may have that's written on that card, wherever it is that you think God is calling you to in five years, you have to remain consistent throughout this path, throughout this entire journey there, so that the fear doesn't get in the way. 
An easy way to remember this is you have to have faith over fear. The faith you have in the path God is bringing you down has to be greater than the fear of what may come or what others may think about what you're doing. So I'm challenging each and every one of you today. Pre-decide. Don't wait until the trials come to decide to be consistent. Decide now that you're going to remain consistent in following God's path for you. I know it isn't going to be an easy thing to do, but the rewards that God has waiting for you at that destination is going to be far better and far greater than anything you could have created for yourself. If you guys bow your heads, we're going to close in prayer. Dear God, as we wrap up today, I pray that everyone here remembers that you have a plan for where they're going to be in five years. But it's up to them to get there. I pray that their faith in you remains greater than the fear of what may come along the way. So that they can stay consistent in their path, consistent in the decisions they make, the temptations to face, the time they spend, and the people that they surround themselves with. I pray that as they leave here today, they take that next step in their journey and they pre-decide that no matter what others around them may be doing or thinking, no matter what they may face, they remain consistent. And I pray all of these things in your precious son's name. Amen.